0: All right, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. I want you to open your Bibles, if you can, to that. We're moving along here. For the last nine weeks, 10 weeks, we've done one verse a week. So we have like three today, which is amazing. I feel like we're like, this is light speed fast. But um, we're going to be kind of walking through. Some people actually say this is the Uh, the finale to the Beatitudes. Some people don't classify it that way. Either way, this is a transitionary um, paragraph, a transitionary thought for Jesus out of the Beatitudes that we've been in and into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm gonna read it with you. I'm just reading out of uh, the New Living Translation, as per usual for me. um, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. This is Jesus' teaching. Uh, Why don't we just stand for this, actually? You can exercise your legs a little bit more, and we can honor God's word this way together. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus, teach us from your word today. Amen, you can have a seat. So in the Beatitudes, I'm not going to walk through those. Again, we've spent weeks doing that. But Jesus in the Beatitudes, again, just a reminder, he's now described to us the character of heaven, the culture of the kingdom of God as it takes root in our lives. So the Beatitudes are about the culture and character of heaven. They're not sort of moral imperatives that we have to kind of ascribe to and and work our way to get better at. They're simply descriptions of what it's like when the kingdom of God is actually taking leadership in our life on the earth. That's what he's just described. Now Jesus is about to shift his uh, focus here and begin to describe what that's gonna look like in our lives on the earth. So he's described character and culture, the nature of heaven. Now Jesus is shifting gears, and from this point on, he's about to describe how that works itself out in our everyday lives. So he starts with this description of salt. I uh, I, I love salt. I actually, uh, one of my passions, if you know me, especially in COVID, has been to learn to cook over fire, just open fire. We have a fire pit in our, in our kind of built into our deck. Um, I'm not sure if that's safe or not, because it's a wooden deck, but that's okay, it, nothing's happened yet. But we have a fire pit that's kind of built into that. And just during COVID, I decided I wanted to learn how to just cook with fire, just like raw fire, and one of the things that I love cooking is Brazilian steak. Like it's called picanha. And uh that's a specific Brazilian cut. If you've ever been to Copacabana or um or the other one, I forget what it's called. Which one? Braza, yes. Have you been there? Then you've had this kind of steak. But but one of the things you you learn um as you're learning to prepare this is in a traditional Brazilian sort of methodology of cooking, they coat it in coarse salt, like coat it. And that's all, and that's it. And yes, it's so good. Felipe's just coming back to childhood life in Brazil, hey? Uh, they coat it in salt, and that salt kind of acts as a covering over that meat while it's cooking. I, I love that. Like, we had that so many times this summer It wasn't even funny. And there's the salt. You don't need anything else. The salt just, just, it does something incredible to that meat as it's being cooked in that. Jesus, as he walks this through with his followers, is describing two things here, two realities that have impact on the world. I I want you to kind of log that in your head Without the salt on the picanha, it's just another kind of piece of meat. But when you do it the way they do in Brazil, it becomes something, I would argue, almost supernatural. (laughs) It's not, but it almost is. Jesus is about to lay out for us two principles here. And the overarching idea is you are called to have impact on the world around you. You're not called to just carry the culture of heaven internally. You're not called to just have this private faith between you and God that nobody else is a part of, that nobody else sees or recognizes. He's calling us to have impact on the world around us. John Tyson, pastor of Church in the City in New York, says this, the salt is Jesus talking about radical allegiance to him in a culture of compromise. And the light is boundary-crossing mission in dark places that no one else is willing to go to. Jesus is now beginning to talk about the effects of the culture of heaven, and he's saying uh, the culture of heaven by its very nature and description must have impact on the world around it. Notice how Jesus says you are salt and you are light. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Not you should be, not even you could be or you can be. He doesn't even say you have the salt of the earth and you have the light of the world. He actually just says this is who you are. This isn't something that you carry externally. This is literally who you are. And Jesus is drawing a distinction here that it's not even your message that's salt or light. It's not necessarily, although it can be part of it, it's not necessarily what you say. It's not preaching evangelistically. It's not your, the things that you, you stand for. It's not all of these things. It's literally who you are. It's the substance of your life that's in view here. Not just what you do or what you say. It's the substance of your life. Paul says it this way in Second Corinthians. Since we believe that Christ died for all, this is Second Corinthians 5, 14b and 17. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new has begun. When the kingdom takes root in our life, it's not just this external thing that we kind of clad ourselves with. It's not a sort of a medieval armor that we're kind of wearing. We actually become new in Christ. It becomes our, our, our whole being, our way of living. In another way to say that, we're called to become what we already are. The, the work of Christ internally is meant to express itself through our life in every way. We're called to allow Jesus to do what he needs to in us so that we can become who we already are. Dale Bruner says it this way in his amazing commentary on Matthew. The Christian ethic is an ethic of become who you are rather than the Greek or Confucian ethic of become what you should be. So Jesus is saying, this isn't what you should do. This is just who you are if you're in the kingdom. This is the reality. You will have an impact on the world around you. So who are the you that Jesus is talking about? They're the ones who believe in the good news of Jesus. Okay, we're going back to chapter four. The you that Jesus is now directing this to are the ones who believe in the good news of Jesus. And as a result of that good news, they've upended their lives, their priorities, their values, their pursuits by repenting of their sin, turning to God, and placing their faith in Jesus, which will now be evidenced in how they live. That's the you that Jesus is talking about. In 1 John, it says this, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we cannot, we can't kind of take a sidebar route here that some believe and say, well, Jesus, um, uh, because he was God, because he was fully God and fully man, we can't expect ourselves to live like he did. And some people actually just whitewash the whole Sermon on the Mount and say that's unrealistic, it can't be done. But that's actually not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we actually need to live as Jesus lived. We need to have that kind of effect and impact and potency on the world around us that Jesus himself had. So when Jesus says, "Um, the you in this, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, He's speaking uh, in two ways. Number one, specifically, he's speaking to the persecuted people because of his name and because of righteousness. We talked about that last week. He's speaking to those people. You're the you now, the persecuted. But the persecuted are persecuted because they're living out the beatitude culture of heaven on the earth. You see how Jesus is now building this The persecuted aren't the persecuted for political, religious sort of ideologies. They're persecuted because they carry the culture of heaven on the earth. And he's saying that that's the you who become the salt and light of the earth. So what Jesus is offering here is a confrontation with the ideologies all around him. We need to understand he wasn't speaking in a lecture hall in a vacuum here. All around Jesus as he's on this mountainside delivering this message are, are sects and groups of people who hold specific views of culture and life. There were the zealots around him who believed that um, the way to move forward was with force and violence. Like the way for us to move forward as a nation of Israel is to overthrow Rome by force and by power. Those people were around Jesus. There was another group of people that were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees believed that we needed to compromise so that we could get along with the culture around us. We didn't want to offend anyone. We didn't want to kind of come out of the gate with doctrine or theology or a way of living that confronted anything in the world around us. So the Sadducees would say, let's just all get along. I'll flex my beliefs. It's okay. I'll flex my convictions so that I'm not stirring trouble. But then there's another group around Jesus, the Pharisees. And they believed in a a moral withdrawal from society. They held to the letter of the law and then even created hundreds and hundreds of extra regulations around the law that imprisoned them in religious sort of moral ideology, like all all of life is bent toward living this moral purity in the world. And then there were the Essenes who were monastics. They were separatists and they were the ones running into the desert. They were the ones running away from conflict, running away from confrontation, running away to seek kind of sort of um, solitude and silence in God's presence. And there's something valid and right about all of these different sects that were around Jesus. There's they, they all have a, a piece of the pie. But Jesus, when he's delivering the Beatitudes and as he begins to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say, look, the, none of those in and of themselves are the fullness of what it's like to live in the kingdom on the earth. Today, we may not have groups that call themselves literally Sadducees, Pharisees, or Zealots, or Essenes, but we have groups who have these partial alternative views of Jesus. We have groups that share a political view of Jesus, the Jesus and politics group. Like that's the, that's the role of Jesus is to influence political uh, ideology and agenda. We have a, the fundamental Jesus group who are around doing their thing. And then we have the progressive Jesus group. Like what he just wants to do is just, because he just wants to love everybody, We can just kind of willy-nilly just change definitions and, and rewrite scripture with a revisionist kind of flavor. And then we have the social version of Jesus, like all that he wants to do is bring justice on the world, social justice. And again, all of these have elements of truth in them, but none of them actually capture the entirety of who Jesus is and what he's calling us to do. But the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes do, and that's why Jesus starts with them. So salt, um, and much, much of this for us is we've heard these verses so many times that they've lost their, their meaning and their value, their impact. We're just so, so numb to them. A couple thoughts about salt that you may or may not know, probably do. Salt was incredibly valuable in first century Roman life. The expression, you're not worth your salt, that actually comes from that period of history. Sometimes Roman soldiers were paid with salt. And if the Roman soldiers weren't doing a good job or weren't worthy of their pay, they would withhold salt from them. And so they would say, you're not worth your salt. Uh, Salt had incredible value in antiquity. Um, Salt was a mark of friendship. In sort of friendship rituals, they would kind of throw salt over their shoulder. Salt was also used, I don't know if you know this, salt was used in the Mosaic um, rituals in the temple. So in the Old Testament, salt was used in the ritual kind of um, procedural use of offering sacrifices to God. In the Old Testament, salt in that way was talking about sort of a covenant purity. But I think um, more than all of that, and of course, salt is a preservative and all of that stuff that we already know. Jesus is not asking us to kind of hone in on one very specific thing. What he's trying to do is draw this point for us that our lives need to have potency and effect. Our lives in the kingdom are meant to have potency and impact and effect. In this, here, Jesus is saying he's going to transfer his own character and authority to his followers so they can carry the value of the kingdom in a potent way to the environment around them. This is what John Tyson, that pastor I talked about, calls provocative faithfulness to Jesus in a culture of compromise, this potency that has impact and effect. That's what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. Your life is meant to be a potent testimony of the kingdom of God on the earth. You're meant to actually have impact. What Jesus is after is not size and scale, what Jesus is not talking about are ginormous churches with multinational ministries and stuff. Those are There's nothing wrong with those. But he's not talking about size and scale. He's talking about small things that are done with a potent integrity. Small acts of faithfulness in our life, small responses of faithfulness to him that have a potent impact on those around us. It's not how large our churches grow, it's how potent the people in our churches are. So he says, you are the salt, and then specifically of the earth. Because salt was meant to have an impact, we are called by Jesus to have an impact outside, like outside of ourselves. We cannot... Why into this idea of like personal private faith that's not scriptural? Jesus is saying, like, my work in your life, it will have an impact, it will have potency when you make decisions to be faithful to me, to walk in integrity before me, pure of heart, peacemaking, broken before me, humble and meek and gentle. Those decisions to allow the work of the Spirit in you will carry with them an effect on those around you, a potency on them. It's not about being part of a big church. It's about people in the church, all of us together carrying a potency to impact the world around us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, the disciples are focused not only on heaven, but are reminded of their mission on earth. As those bound to Jesus alone are they sent to the earth? We're not called to live for heaven. We we need to kind of come back to a balance. We've created this false dichotomy, this radical separation of salvation and sanctification. And we need to come back to actually a balanced scriptural view. We're not called to live for heaven. We're called to live for his kingdom on the earth, to be potent and effective on the earth. Bonhoeffer continues, as those bound to Jesus alone, they were sent to the earth, whose salt they are. When Jesus calls his disciples the salt instead of himself, he transfers his efficacy on the earth to them. He brings them into his work. This touches on, for us, a fundamental conviction we have as a church. If you're newer here, this fundamental conviction we have is that Jesus is our model. He's our model for life on the earth, lived under the kingdom of heaven and by the principles of heaven. What that means for us is that we believe that everything Jesus did and taught is actually what he's inviting us into. He's not a different class or standard. He's not one thing and we're the next and here's how this kind of works out for us in Philippians 2. Paul is talking about Jesus humbling himself. And he says um don't look to your own interests, but take an interest in others. Verse five, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So the the key idea of Jesus coming to earth and becoming one of us and being our model is found in this Greek word, it's called kenosis. And it's the, the subject of some debate today, but kenosis really, when it says that Jesus humbled himself and Jesus in that humility set aside his divine rights and privileges, what that is saying is this. Not that he did not, um, uh, not that he changed form and was not God on the earth and fully human. He was fully God and fully man. What it means is he set aside the right to act independently as God and go around the human function and system. So here's how Jesus lived, and this is why he's our model. Jesus lived dependent on the Father, and he did this through spiritual practices. The spiritual practices of Jesus, he lived dependent on the Father, but he lived empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've got to remember this. Jesus did not operate in his divine power outside of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus healed, it wasn't because he was God. It was because he was man submitted perfectly to the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. This is so key for us today. Jesus is our model, and this is a core conviction. When he says, you're called to be salt and light on the earth, he's saying, you're called to live like I live, to do the things I did, and to create an efficacy on the earth around you to have potent impact through your faithfulness through your uh, your your commitment to live in obedience to the father through spiritual disciplines and practices and to live empowered by the holy spirit so that the work of god flows through you on the earth this is how jesus lived and when paul says that he gave up his divine rights. He's saying that Jesus gave up the right to circumvent his humanity on the earth. Instead, what he did is he humbled himself as God to say, I will work through all of the same trappings and all of the same schematics that every other man and woman on earth has to work through. That's what he did. It's so key for us to realize when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he didn't change back to his pre-incarnate form. Right now in heavenly places, he is a human man and he forever will be. That's what he surrendered and gave up. He became like us to show us the model for how to live as salt and light on the earth. I want to just draw a couple of conclusions here. For us as a church, this is why we, we've kind of narrowed things down to three key areas that we feel God calling us to. Three legs on a stool, if you would. God, he's called us to, to live with the Father the same way he has, in spiritual practices, to use the spiritual practices of Jesus to live in a deep abiding intimacy with God. But he's also called us to live like him, to allow our character and our life to be transformed so that we naturally do and say and behave and operate like he did with the character of his father. The third thing is he's called us to live out the same kingdom power and authority that Jesus did. As a church, and just my conviction, I categorically categorically would refute cessationist theology. It's unbiblical. It's not biblical to believe that the the power of the gifts died off at the end of the apostolic age. The power of the Holy Spirit is available for us today. I want to just make a few observations about this. John 14, Jesus says you'll do even greater works than I did because I'm going to the Father. So here's what we believe, and here's what I'm talking about when it when I'm talking about living a life of potency and impact. We have the same access to the Father that Jesus had. Ephesians tells us that. We have the same access to the Father that Jesus had. We have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. We don't have a junior or less than Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit we had. We have the same power in us that Jesus had through the Holy Spirit. We have the same character offered to us that Jesus had offered to him. As he learned obedience through what he suffered, as he developed his character as a human on the earth, we have the same gifts that Jesus used The same ones are given to us, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And we have the same practices Jesus himself used. So when Jesus says you are the salt and the light, he's saying you are called to live on the earth like I did, to have the impact that I did, my life's impact. You're called to actually be a walking, living, breathing representative of the culture of heaven. You're called to access the Holy Spirit's power and authority to allow your character to be refined by him, to walk in intimacy, be led by God on the earth. And when we do, we'll have impact. So as a church, we believe we're called to learn to live with Jesus, live like Jesus, and live out our kingdom calling with his spiritual authority and power on the earth. So the salt is faithfulness that has an impact. And that saltiness, not in the negative sense, like being salty, (laughs) that saltiness is cultivated through spiritual practices. Or another way to say it is small acts of integrity when you're challenged to compromise. Small acts of obedience when you just actually want to go and do your own thing and live your own way. Small acts of purity in our culture of hedonism. In a culture that says, just take whatever you want for you. Have it. Do it. Satisfy your cravings. Jesus calls us to be salt and light, to have potency and to stand in this culture of hedonism and say, I'm I'm choosing to have purity of heart and life. In the midst of it. When he goes on to say you're the light of the world, I believe what he's saying is your job is to show up and go into the places that are dark. The picture here is that light only shows up properly when it's contrasted with darkness. Again, Bonhoeffer says a community of Jesus which wants to be invisible I want you to just ponder this. A community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. If our greatest desire is to blend in to society, to go unnoticed, to ruffle no feathers, to to, um, not really stand for everything or anything, if our greatest desire online is to blend in, and we cease to be the people that God is calling us to be. I had one of these watershed moments for me. I've been off social media totally since August. But two years ago, when I started posting these morning word things, it was the first time that I had posted anything overtly Christian. On Like my Instagram was like pictures of Rochelle and the kids and food <laughs> kind of um, I, I typically in my life, I've I've been uh, not uh, like, I'm not a, an evangelist like my dad is. I'm kind of more quiet and reserved that way. And, and as I felt God stirring me to post these like morning, just scriptural reflections, I really wrestled with this. Like, God, there's a whole bunch of people on my feed that aren't followers of yours that I'm working with in secular context that I'm rubbing shoulders with all the time. And I don't, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to like, I don't want to tick them off or cause like kind of division or discouragement. And there are people like Scott and I work with in the film industry and other people that would have radically different views of life than I do. And for like a month or so, I was wrestling with God. Like, I, I don't know if, if I can do this. And I just sensed his conviction in him saying, Andrew, Andrew, you have to stand for something or else you'll stand for nothing. You have to take a risk and trust me with this. And so I began down this road of just posting these morning things that I was was doing. and, And people did notice What's interesting is some of my friends who aren't Christians thought it, was, they thought it was kind of cool and interesting at first. I don't think they followed along for very long with it. It sparked some interesting conversation, but Jesus is calling us to be visible. And if our whole agenda in social media or in the world around us is to be invisible then we cease to be the community that follows Jesus. Light has an impact the way salt salt does. John Tyson again says, our secular models for bringing hope and progress and light to the world haven't worked. Are we any, uh, Is our society today, for all of the the work of secular society and culture to rip God out of the fabric of our existence? Are we more peaceful? Are we? Are, is there more joy and hope and peace in our culture? No, there's not. You could argue it's darker than it ever has been. John Tyson says, in the last 2,000 years, we've had every conceivable form of progress With all of it, you'd think we should be in a utopia by now with all of that progress, but our world is as dark as it ever has been. Jesus is saying, I've called you to be boundary-crossing followers of mine that carry light into dark, dark places. Are you willing for your life to have potency and impact on the world around you? Are you willing for your life to have effect In the midst of a dark, dark culture, are you willing to walk in purity and in integrity? And Are you willing to do the things that would cause you to be visible? Not obnoxious, but visible. So everyday faithfulness is like the salt and radical mission is the light. Lastly, Jesus says, If you lose your saltiness, you'll be thrown out. There's no middle ground here. The key thought for that is that we can have a diminishing influence in our life. I think of the friends that I've had, especially the ones in high school, um, when I wasn't really walking with Jesus at all, the friends I would smoke pot with and drink with and all kinds of things, I diminished my influence with them. Because on one day of the week, I said I lived for Jesus. And on every other one, I did exactly the things that they did. And Jesus is calling us to recapture our influence. If we're going to, if we're going to in our culture, just, um, if we're going to just settle for everything that the world kind of throws at us and compromise With our sexual ethic and with purity and with business ethic and with all of these things, if we're just going to compromise on anything, Jesus is saying, you're going to be useless to me. I'm not going to get into the debate on whether Jesus is actually saying we can lose our salvation, but either way, Jesus is saying you will have diminishing impact if you live a life of compromise. He uses that word thrown out five other times in Matthew, and it's never a good situation. The light that Jesus is saying we have, that the light that we are, it changes darkness and brings contrast to it. I... I believe in the new year as we revision our church that he is calling us to be a church that's willing to walk in the dark places of our city and bring his light. Willing to walk and cross boundary lines no one else is willing to cross. The same way that Jesus did to bring light into darkness. Again, Bonhoeffer, and I'm closing off with uh, a few thoughts on this. The bushel basket under which... The visible community hides its light can be fear of human beings just as much as it can be intentional conformity with the world for some arbitrary purposes, whether it is to be missionary or whether it arises from misguided love for people. We aren't called to go to church and be nice. Niceness is not found in the fruit of the Spirit. Just be nice. We're called to be boundary-crossing, potent followers of Jesus that function in our spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God and practice the spiritual disciplines and practices of Jesus. That's why, as a church, uh, we're going to be talking about this in the new year but we're gonna be keying in on these two elements in Jesus's life, the practices of discipline that he had spiritually and the use of the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work of God on the earth. As a community, if we begin to fully step into the practices of Jesus spiritually in our lives and begin to fully live out of the Spirit's power and gifting in our lives, we will be the salt and light that Jesus is talking about. Scott McKnight equates this to being priests and kings on the earth. The salt is something that mediates. It preserves. And in that same way, we're called to be the mediating priests of God on the earth between God and man but we're also called to be the kings and queens of the kingdom of God, bringing the light of the kingdom to the earth around us. Why don't you stand with me? Just a few things of application. And I'll just invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. just some questions to ask ourselves as we just walk out of here and process this. And so I'm just gonna ask Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would bring to life what you need to from your word, that you would bring conviction and clarity to our hearts. But I want you just to ask this of God, just between you and him even right now, are there areas of my heart where there has been compromise. And if things come to mind Again, if the Holy Spirit just brings things to mind, I just want you to just acknowledge it before God. God, I've compromised in my integrity or in my heart before you. I've compromised in this area of my life. And I'm sorry, God. And I'm asking that you would bring forgiveness and renewal and restoration. I wanna be faithful to you. The second question is this, is convenience robbing you of the mission of God in your life? Is being comfortable robbing you? Is living without confrontation and fear and risk in faith, robbing you of the mission of God in your life. Is convenience robbing you of his mission? The last one, where am I just trying to get along with culture and not make waves? And I wanna pose this especially to you students. Some of you, I've seen God do powerful things in your life. I've seen you come alive spiritually, but then I've also watched you grow cold to his presence. And I want to ask you students, where are you being tempted? Where are you being tempted to just get along with culture and not make waves? What are you giving way to in your heart and in your life? Father, we we need you. And God, I believe you're calling us to be a community of people who are called to a, a deep convictions held with humility. And so I just ask Holy Spirit for your work to stir in us what you need to, to provoke us again to be the people that you've called and created us to be, for the God, kingdom, culture, colors of the kingdom of God to come out of our life. Father, I pray for each one of us here that we would get off that fence of thinking that we can just be salt or be light, or that we can just have salt or have light or choose salt or choose light. Father, I pray that you would call each one here to the reality, to understand, and, and to the, the road with you to become who you've already said they are. Father, would we be the kind of people that are becoming who you've already declared us to be, Teach us how to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen.